0: So it was uh, October 22nd, 1980. I had uh, just moved to Medford with my family from Edgewater Park, New Jersey, and it was time to go to school, and I I used to walk three quarters of a mile to school. There's no resentment in that. Anyway, so I went across the street to the Andronisi family uh, because we would walk together, and when I knocked on the door, I think it was Marcus came to the door and said, we're not going to school today. I was curious about this, and he said, it's because we're going to the Philadelphia Phillies World Series Parade. And I just silently walked back across the street. And as I was walking back this the street, I remember jumping in my living room that morning because my dad told me, it was a late night and I was a young kid, that the Phillies had won. He was there, he was behind the left field foul pole when Tug McGraw struck out Willie Wilson to win the World Series for the Philadelphia Phillies in 1980. Uh, we, uh, I went back, I told my mom, she easily succumbed. Next thing you know, we were at Lenape High School, where my brother, who had, had already arrived on the bus, we took him out of school, and then the two families were on their way to the high-speed line to come into downtown Philadelphia for the Philadelphia Phillies Parade. It, was, it wasn't the parade that I expected to, it was just like two buses that went by. Anyway, but it was a lot of fun, and it was a lifelong memory. Uh, but sports captured my attention early on. Uh, a few years later, we were celebrating the Philadelphia 76ers winning a championship. And there's something about sports that gave me a sense that I belonged and I identified with my team. And I think we have that sense in our moment now, right? There's something. There's, there's, some, there's few things like sports that can bring so many people together. Well, it wasn't just that I felt a sense of belonging, but sports also had the sense that it would call the best out of me. I just loved competing, and it doesn't matter. To this day, I love competing, whether it's checkers, ping pong, basketball, whatever. If there is competition, I want it. Why? It just calls something better out of me. It calls the best out of me. And that really became this defining thing for me through growing up. Sports would give me a sense of identity, belonging, and it would bring the best out of me. But as I, get old, as I got older, and uh, the pitches started curving away from my bat inexplicably, and I hit some health problems, and everyone started getting a little bit faster, a little bit taller, a little bit stronger. Uh, sports didn't necessarily continue as my only thing. And as I started seeing some adult type challenges like family members with cancer, and grief, and anger, so they started experiencing religions and ideologies. Sports just sort of lost its ability to soothe me and give me the sense that everything was okay. Sports, though, in its sense of belonging and bringing the best out of me, almost became a placeholder to point to something deeper. As I started wrestling with issues, I remember being in college and having the sense, so I know that there's a good and I know that there's a wrong, but I have no basis for it. Somebody pointed me to the teachings of Jesus, and as I started reading about Jesus and I started reading about his teaching, I just found that he understood me. He understood my longings. He understood my motivations. He understood why I did what I did. And I just said, I got to try this out and I need to follow where it leads. And it just kept leading and it became very, very real. And I found myself into a community of faith. And in this community, I saw lives change. I saw something about something that I had that intrigued me in sports but at like a 100x level about how a community can come together with a certain kind of urgency that would create an unbelievable sense of belonging and acceptance and that when it came together it can be so much greater than some of its parts and I, and I, and I found myself falling in love with the local church and early on, truth be told, I saw the best of the church, and I saw the worst of church. But I realized just how powerful the local church is, how powerful those relationships can be, how powerful it can be when people come together with a commitment to love each other, when a commitment to serve beyond themselves. And I saw, wait a second, I really believe that the local church is the hope of the world. I, 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 I came to believe it. it. It was this conviction that held on to me. To the point where I said, I have to give the rest of my life to this. If I can serve this world in some way, I'm going to serve the local church. Because when a local church is in a community, when somebody has a local church in their life, when the kid has a church to grow up and there's something powerful that can be transformative for each person and for each community. And so I gave myself to serve that. But that hasn't been everybody's experience. In fact, uh, 92% of Americans would say that they believe in God But on a weekend, on any given weekend around here, only about 15% of people will find their way to church. It's not that people don't believe in God. I don't think it's that people don't believe in God. They just haven't found a church that captures their imaginations or a church that should represent a community that believes in this kind of God. I'm a big U2 fan. There's a couple of songs that have kind of put this all together for me. One is a a relatively little known one called Acrobat. Uh, In that song he says, I'd believe in the movement if there was one I could believe in. He says, I'd break bread and wine if there's a church I could receive in because I need it now. He says, I must be an acrobat to talk like this and act like that. I mean, he knows, and we all know. Who of us lives up to our own standards of life, let alone the vision that God would have for us? At, all, at, at every level, we all know that we talk like this, and we act like that. And Who wouldn't need a community of acceptance where we could receive grace? I think that's the church that he was longing for. I think that's the church the world is longing for. And another song you probably know, He talks about the things that he has found to be true, but he still hasn't found what he's looking for. I believe that Bono and the communities around us, deep down, are looking for a community, a church, that will live out a vision of love and compassion, a a community with a sense of urgency about what's true and, and, and good and love and grace, a community of compassion, a church that would truly live up to a vision of being hope for the world. I think for a lot of folks, they've heard it and they've seen a kind of community, but when it comes to church, they haven't seen sort of like that body, that organism, that living thing that can become greater than some of its parts. What they've experienced is institution or a building. And when they think of church, they think of rules, they think of... Hierarchy, they think of authority, uh, and it just, well, it doesn't work for them. I don't think Jesus had any, I don't think that was Jesus' vision for what the church ought to be and could be. Next five weeks, we're going to look at who Jesus is, and I think we have an opportunity to go back and just look at what the founder thought. Look at what the founder of the church thought about what the church could be and ought to be. We're going to look at just a story from, we're going to look at the story of Jesus' life from one of the earliest recordings of his life by one of his followers, a guy named John Mark. And so uh, we'll, let's just kick that off right now, in fact. We're going to read from the Gospel of Mark. When Jesus begins his public ministry, this is sort of the first official things that Jesus said. He, his first official pronouncements as far as his public ministry. So we'll read that starting in Mark chapter 1. After John, and this is uh, John the baptizer at the time. Uh, after John was put in prison, Jesus went into Galilee proclaiming the good news of God. The time has come, he said. The kingdom of God has come near. Repent and believe the good news. As Jesus walked beside the Sea of Galilee, he saw Simon and his brother Andrew casting a net into the lake, for they were fishermen. Come follow me, Jesus said, and I will send you out to fish for people. At once they left their nets and followed him. When he had gone a little further, he saw James, son of Zebedee, and his brother John in a boat, preparing their nets. Without delay, he called them, and they left their father Zebedee in the boat with the hired men, and they followed him. So four questions, four questions. First thing Jesus says is like, hey, I've come to bring the good news of God. So question number one, all right, what is the good news of God? What is the good news of God? And for a lot of folks, if they're not necessarily used to going to church, they're like, what do you mean by good news? You might think like Gandalf. Remember in the beginning of The Hobbit, he comes and finds Bilbo Baggins smoking a pipe outside of his hobbit hall? And uh, Bilbo sees Gandalf and says, good morning. And Gandalf replies, what do you mean? Do you wish me a good morning? Or mean that it is a good morning whether I want it or not? Or that you feel good this morning? Or that it is a morning to be good on? I think a lot of folks when they hear the church say, hey, there's good news out there. They kind of hear it through Gandalf, like, what do you mean? Do you wish that there's good news? Or do you say that there's a good there's good news out there whether I want it or not? Or do you just feel good about news? Uh, or that there's news and you better be good? I think that's a lot of times what people think about when they think of the church. And here's the thing. I think uh, part of the problem here is that Jesus has a PR issue here, right? A public relations issue because good news just doesn't work today, right? I remember when I was a kid. I, I, I spent some time in the Lutheran Church growing up, and I was confirmed there, and they gave me a good news Bible. It was a black Bible with gold trim, and my name was on it. I was pretty excited about it. It had pictures inside, and I brought it home. I was all pumped. I was going to start reading my good news Bible. But here's the thing: when I got got home, I could I had the choice. I could either read my good news Bible or watch, The Amazing Spider-Man. I mean, it's hard to compete with the adjectives and superlatives today. I mean, why go for good when there's amazing? And also, you know, we're we're in this, like, startup thing, and so we're thinking about words, and it's hard to compete with the adjectives and superlatives that are out there. If you don't string three together, it's, you know, like, do you have anything of substance for us, right? And so, so Jesus comes and offers good news, and people are like, all right, whatever, I guess there's news, and I better be good. A lot of times, uh, some translations, they actually translate the word good news as gospel. And the good news is like, it's like the, the, the true sort of phrase that it would translate to. But gospel is sort of an old English word that I think is actually more helpful to us. I'll tell you why. Uh, the, the specific term that Jesus was using, was using there was rarely used. I guess they didn't believe in adjectives and superlatives. Anyway, so they didn't use that word very often. It was used on specific occasions. Whenever there was a gospel, it was sort of a historic, epic, changing event. Like when uh, a new Caesar was born, there would be heralds that would be sent throughout the Roman Empire to announce the gospel of Caesar. There's a new Caesar. There's a new heir. There's, there's going to be a new ruler. Everything will change someday. Uh, some, of you, uh, some of you may have run a marathon here. And you may or may not know why we get the number 26.2 when it comes to a marathon. Well, when they're instituting the modern-day Olympics in 1896, they, they hearken themselves back to this moment in Athens in 490. Athens, was, in Athens, they were the first people to start thinking about like, some rudimentary forms of democracy. And they were experimenting with that. And then Persia came in and they sort of took over, and the Athenians were slaves to the Persians. But there's this battle that occurred. There was a battle that occurred in the, in the city of Marathon. And the, and the Athenians defeated the Persians and uh, Pheidippides. The, the Athenian soldier ran back 26.2 miles from Marathon to Athens to announce to the people of Athens, you are now free? The, a war has been won on your behalf? He announced the gospel of good news to the Athenians that they are now fundamentally different. Their status has changed. The world is now different for them. And then he died. So they remembered Philippides for that moment of announcing a gospel. Well, Jesus comes and he announces a gospel, which is a very politically charged thing. He's like, no, 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 no. The kingdom of God is now here. All right, so what is the kingdom of God? That's the next question, All right. So what is this kingdom of God? The kingdom of God means that God has come. That God has come to restore this world. That the creator has come to what, remake what is broken. The Maker has come to return people's hearts to Himself. That the lover has come to rewin His bride to Himself. The kingdom of God means that God has invaded this world to restore to the order they originally intended it to be. Now, uh, for some folks, if you haven't been to church for a while and what you remember about church is institution, rules, authority, and stuff like that, you're, you have sort of an irking and you're kind of irked by this. And, and it's okay to be irked. Why? Because like if church is a bunch of rules and institutions, and I wasn't really crazy about that, why would I want a kingdom, right? Because that feels like 10x, right? More rules, more authority, more hierarchy. Who wants that, right? Like the kingdom of God is just not like that kingdom of God is wherever the king is. Wherever the king exerts his influence. Uh, the thing is, that there's a difference between the church and the kingdom. The, king is wherever some, the kingdom is wherever somebody does something in Jesus' name. When somebody shows compassion to another person in Jesus' name, that's where Jesus', is, Jesus kingdom is. When somebody uh, does, uh, gives a gift in Jesus' name, that's where the kingdom is. When somebody prays a contrite prayer to Jesus, that's where kingdom, the kingdom is. That's why Jesus says uh, to some of these, that's where the kingdom belongs. The church's job is to extend Jesus' influence. Wherever Jesus' influences, there is the kingdom. So, uh, you can almost think of it like Air Force One, right? Uh, there is no actual plane with on the side that's Air Force One. You know that? Because Air Force One is whatever plane the president is in. If the president's in the plane, then it's Air Force One. If he gets in a different plane, that's now Air Force One. Wherever Jesus extends his influence, there's the kingdom. So what's the kingdom like? The kingdom, well, it's like the king. And Jesus extends his influence in a way so much, in, in so many ways so different than any leader we would think. Jesus does not come to crush his enemies. He comes to love them, to befriend them. Jesus doesn't use his power to consolidate more power for himself. He gives away his power. He gives away his power. Jesus does, not, uh, Jesus does not associate with people of influence so he can have more people to influence. He, influ- he associates with the lowly, those known as sinners. He associates himself with the outcasts. Jesus' chief way of influencing the world is not through power, but through love. It means it takes things take a lot longer that way. And there's a scandal in and of itself in there. But Jesus does not influence the world through power, but through love. We got our name by looking at the way Jesus leads. Uh, and you might have come to find out okay, where did they come up with that name? All right. Here's your answer. There's a story in the life of Jesus. He's healing, uh, he's teaching, he's telling people good news, and there's crowds, and they all want to be around him. Why? Because he's different than anybody they've ever seen or experienced, and they all want a piece of him. And, and Jesus steps back and he, and he looks at the crowds, and there's a problem because there's a lot of crowd and only one of Jesus. A lot of crowd and only one of uh, Jesus. And when he looks at the crowds, he doesn't resent the crowds. He doesn't see political opportunity in the crowds. He doesn't, he's not angry with the crowds. He's not frustrated with the crowds. And he does not judge the crowds. And, and what I tell you right now might change your entire view of Christianity. Christianity. And, and this might be something I would love for you to hear. When Jesus looks at the crowds, he's not angry, he's not resentful, he's not looking to fix them or control them or use them. When he looks at the crowds, he has compassion on them. He has compassion on them. He sees beyond where they are, and he sees the stories around them. A significant part of my life for the last eight years, I got to be the pastor at a recovery ministry. And in this recovery ministry, was some folks came for a chemical dependency, but other folks came because there's, there's something going on uh, in their marriage or their family. There's brokenness. And here's the thing about recovery ministry. When people come for the first time, it's not because they're having a really good month. Uh, they come because they're experiencing some real pain. And one of the things I learned through that is that when you when you hear somebody's story and even better when they learn their story it's all logical sometimes you 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 might talk to somebody you might know somebody you might be looking at yourself and say how did i get here how did this person get here once you hear the story you see a b c d e the decisions people make that you wonder about or you've made you wonder about or the pain they're in it's all logical it all makes sense. That's why people got to where they are. And when Jesus looks at the crowds, he sees people in pain. They see people who hurt. They see people who are making bad decisions. They see, he sees people who are hurting others. And he sees beyond the hurt and sees the stories behind the hurt. And when he looks on the crowds, he has compassion on them. Why? Because they're harassed and helpless, like sheep without a shepherd. He knows that there needs to be somebody to show love and care. And one of the things is, as Christians we've taught, as Christians we teach that Jesus is God, and because Jesus is God, he can fix this situation. He has the power to address the problem with the Romans, address the problem with Uh, the, the false Jewish teachers, he could pull out his Jesus wand, he could do a Jedi mind trick, and he could fix the crowds. He could fix the crowds. And you might be sitting here saying, I'd love for him to fix me. Here's the thing. Jesus did not come so that people would get fixed. He comes that people would feel loved. Because at the end of the day, he doesn't want to fix you. He wants to know you. He doesn't want your life to be lined up with him. He wants a relationship with you. He wants you to love him and to know his love. And so uh, when he looks at the crowds and he sees the crowds as needing somebody to show him his love and there's only one of him and many crowds, he has a solution. He says, wait a second, wait a second. There needs to be a different kind of situation. He looks to his disciples. He says, you need to pray for more workers. We need a lot more workers. We need a community of workers we need a community of people who will embody my love who embody my compassion who will demonstrate the love and care that this world longs for that can point people to the love and relationship in me that they long for and that I long for that can help people find their way back to God because in God all of our hopes and dreams lie Everything that we long for, everything we wish for, everything that we want for the world, for our friends, for our family, for our children, he would say is hidden in him. The creator of this world, the one who authors this world, the one who makes this world right is in him. He says, look, if this world is going to experience hope, he says, bring them to me. And so For me, early on in my life, I said there's one person who can bring everyone together. There's one person who can bring the best out of us in Jesus. And that's why when we decide to have a name, we want to put our mission right into it. We want to be accountable to being the kind of community that demonstrates Jesus' love and care wherever we go. To demonstrate his compassion. For me, when I experienced that kind of compassion for me, it changed my life. Jesus has compassion on the crowds. He has compassion for us. I found His compassion for me. Jesus has compassion for you. He sees and knows the stories behind the hurt. That's kind of leader Jesus is, and as a church, we want to follow His lead. He will say the Son of man did not come to be served but to serve and to give his life. That's who we want to be. That's what his kingdom's like. So as he's doing this, he starts walking along, and he finds these two guys, James and John. He says, "Come try this out." Natural next thing is that there needs to be an invitation. Jesus invites James and John, come try this out. Finds another couple of guys. He says, come try this out. And I love it. He says, he, he, he says come follow me. I love it. He doesn't say, go to a class, learn about me, and then come back. He doesn't say, go check with the priests. Go, go through these rituals. He doesn't say, go check with your wife. He doesn't say, be a better parent. He doesn't say, stop sinning. He just says, just come on, let's build a community. Let's build a community, and then you'll understand. And here's the thing, they didn't know, they didn't get it, and it took a while, and they still didn't get it. And I kind of like that, because a lot of days, I don't get it. I don't get it. A lot of days, I need help finding my way back to God, and I need a community to help. And I think that's what a church needs to be all about. And so, we want to invite you. Come help us build a community where we can help each other find our ways back to God. And we can extend our, an invitation to the community to help them find their way back to God. What way we'll do is we're going to continue to build community. Jesus, com- Jesus' kingdom is wherever his influence is felt. And so we have our values aren't Sunday values. We want to build community in the workplace, in our neighborhood, on our teams, in our family. Wherever we go, we are the people who are bringing people together. We're always the one crossing uh, barriers of difference to bring people together. Wherever we go, we build community. Wherever we go, we find people and we strengthen their faith. We call the strong into greater acts of service. We find those who are struggling and we strengthen them. Not just on Sunday, but wherever we go. And wherever we go, we are the people who have experienced Jesus' compassion. So we extend Jesus' compassion to people who might need to hear it, those who aren't yet ready to feel it. We are the ones crossing the barrier, building bridges to extend compassion. we love for you to be a part of that. Tonight, uh, there's a game. And after the game, after the game, there's going to be a trophy. And it's going to be awarded to the team in green, I believe. And I don't think there's going to be much of a doubt most of the night. Well, um, on that trophy, it says the name Vince Lombardi. Vince Lombardi was the first one. I, I'd say he's the first one to win the trophy, but they didn't name the trophy after him. But he's the first one to win the Super Bowl. And he was one of the greatest coaches of all time. There was this moment in his coaching where things just weren't going well. The team wasn't getting it. They, uh, he was getting frustrated. So he brought the entire team into midfield. He brought the entire team into into the center of the field. He went and picked up a football, and he says, all right, let's just start with the beginning. This is a football. (laughs) This is a football field, 100 yards, goal line to goal line. That's the end zone. That's our goal. These are the line markers. That's how we know we're progressing towards our goal. And Vince Lombardi, he just started right from the beginning and began teaching them what football was right from the outset. And he made that a tradition, that he would do that at the beginning of training camp, just to remind people and refresh them, bring them back to the core of what it's all about. When you start a new church news that is good and something good that is new we have the opportunity to kind of go back and look at the first principles look at the first thing jesus comes and says you want to know what humanity is supposed to be look at my life you want to understand love see the way i die see the way i serve you want to understand community watch how i bring everyone together we have the opportunity we have the opportunity to think this thing out. And maybe that's you're that, that kind of person. You're like, hey, you know, I'd love to try something new. I'd love to build something new. And we would love for you to be a part of it. Because we know that we know this is true. We can't do this alone. This is something that we want to include the entire community to be a part of. And we need more and more people to be part of this team. We'd love for you to be a part of it. Next few weeks in particular, we're just gonna be asking the question: what is this good news? And what would a church of good news look like for our community. Let me pray. And Jesus, we all need to experience your compassion. We thank you that when you look at our lives, you know the story, you know why. And God... um, We can resist that compassion sometimes. We ask that you just make it real to us. Make it so real to us that we become the kind of community that extends compassion wherever we go. We build community wherever we are, and when people bump into us, they just feel stronger. When that's not coming from us, help us to learn it from you.